It'll be a three-man rush, eight in coverage, three in the end zone. Dalton heaves it down the right side toward the end zone. It is knocked up in the air. Oh, A.J. Green oh, makes the catch. Oh, 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 man. A deflected oh, ball winds oh, up in the hands God. of A.J. Green. The clock hits zero. Oh, 23-year-old Tony Pike waits for the snap. Has the football. Short drop. Lobs one down the sideline for Bins. He's got it. Touchdown. 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 And a high fly ball way back in center field. It is out of here. A grand slam home run for Joey Votto. And this one belongs to the Reds. Get your shirt on. And last I checked, I did. Yes, what? Now a steal by Gary Clark and a breakaway to the rim for a thunderous Tomahawk Jam. Get you one, big fella. Then a strike for Bertoni, and the magical moment belongs to Leonardo Bertoni. He opens the FC Cincinnati account with a goal in the 14th minute. Yeah, double dip from the ice cream cone. Welcome back! Alright, so tonight we have a very special guest for you. Uh, none other than the voice of Cincinnati Radio, Mo Egger. Um, you can catch him on ESPN 1530 on <clears throat> 700 WLW. You can read his stuff on The Athletic. Mo, how you doing? I'm good, guys. What's going on? Not much. I mean, it's... Another day in paradise as the news coming from uh, <laughs> ACL injuries and whatever else is going on. And my goodness, at least the Reds are winning, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, Mo, a couple questions for you about your personal life. Um, so, where did you grow up exactly? So, I was uh, born in Cincinnati or born in Northern Kentucky to be specific. And then, uh, when I was, uh, right before, uh, I guess not right before three days in the first grade up, we moved to New Jersey. Um, and my uh, mom and dad and I, and, uh, stayed there until high school. Um, and during that time in uh, New Jersey, uh, because my parents worked and they didn't want to pay for summer camp, they would basically stick me on a plane and uh, fly me back to Cincinnati to spend the summer with my, my grandparents and aunts and uncles and stuff. So I spent um, a good chunk of my childhood on the East Coast, but enough of it here that I've always felt like I kind of grew up here and then you know, obviously graduated from high school here uh, from Scott and uh, Taylor Mills. So kind of in, in two different places, both of which I love, uh, Northern Kentucky and uh, – North Central New Jersey, the two places both near and dear to my heart. Is that how you became a Knicks fan? It is. My dad took me to a Knicks game on Christmas Day, 1984. Nice. Uh, at Madison Square Garden. You know, obviously the NBA uh, always stages games on Christmas, and it's it's a bigger uh, deal now because they have like five games on Christmas as opposed <laughs> to what it was like in the mid-'80s when they, they would have like one or two in the Knicks. Um, always hosted a game on on uh, on Christmas Day, but uh, that was that, yeah that was that was my introduction. It was my introduction to, to basketball. It was the first basketball oh, okay. game uh, 
I had ever seen in person. Um, it, and it was, it ended up being an I, uh, absolutely iconic game in the history of the New York Knicks uh, because Bernard King scored 60 points, um, which nice. for years and years and years was the Madison Square Garden record. The, the Knicks actually lost the game, um, you know, by six or eight points or whatever. But I, I didn't know who Bernard King was. I didn't know what the Knicks were. They played the New Jersey Nets. I didn't know who the New Jersey Nets were. <laughs> but I fell in love. I fell in love with basketball. And I fell in love with, unfortunately, the Knicks because they've tormented me for <laughs> most of most of my life. So how were you able to keep up with Cincinnati sports outside of coming to Ohio on those trips to visit your grandparents? My dad. I mean, my dad was a diehard, my dad was a diehard Reds fan, diehard Reds fan, um, and a huge Cincinnati Bengals fan. He was also a big U.K. basketball fan. Oh, okay. And... Uh, uh, you know that I actually wrote about that when they closed uh, Fifth. I either wrote about it when they closed Fifth Third Arena for the renovation, or I might have written about it um, when they honored the Final Four team. But I became a UC basketball fan basically to piss off my dad because they played <laughs> Kentucky when I was like twelve or thirteen years old. But no, it was uh, you know it was obviously back then a lot different in the you know the eighties. Uh, you know, like we would go. We would go and see the Reds at Shea Stadium in New York, or sometimes we'd go down to Philadelphia and see the Reds. So, um, you know, we were we were Reds fans. I, I, you know, I'll admit I was nine years old when the Mets won the World Series, and I like I was all about that as a nine year old kid. And then, as as kids tend to do, they they jump from team to team. So, yes. you know, when the Reds won it in '90, I decided, all right, I'm a Reds fan. And then, <laughs> you know, kind of kind of did all that, but. Uh, my dad was a huge Bengals fan when I was when when they were in the Super Bowl. Uh, I was in the sixth grade, and you know you're you're kind of there. We were closer to New York than Philadelphia, but you know there were a lot of Philly sports fans. So you're you're kind of uh, you know in the middle of all these New York Giants kids, and they were really good. They won it in '86, mm-hmm. and then the Jets and uh, the Eagles. So here I am in junior high school. Uh, rocking my Bengals starter jacket, <laughs> uh, you know, kind of the lone wolf in school. And, um, you know, they make the Super Bowl, and it was just awesome. I mean, I, I just, it, it was so much fun. Just, you know, and again, this is like pre Sunday ticket, so, you know, right. you're basically, you're watching whatever game is on in your market at one o'clock, right. just waiting for them to show the score every 10, 15 minutes. So that's kind of how I followed the Bengals. And I actually watched them clinch a home field in the AFC at a Kmart the Saturday, like before Christmas in 88, because they were the Saturday afternoon game instead of Sunday national TV. But anyway, they went to the Super Bowl and, you know, obviously lost and I cried. I mean, and I remember <laughs> um, at that point, my parents were divorced. I remember uh, watching the game with my dad. And him driving me back to my mom's house, you know, late on Sunday night in dead silence. And I just looked at her and I'm like, I don't want to go to school tomorrow. Because <laughs> it was going to be torment. I mean, it right. was going to be, you know, sure. Mo the Bengals fan, let's all just, you know, shit on him. Right. And my mom looked at me and she's like, yeah, you don't have to go to school. So that's <laughs> the coolest thing my parents ever did. So I, <laughs> that's you know, that's, we, were, we were huge. Uh, yeah, it was great. And the next day, I'm kind of like, man, this isn't that bad, you know. <laughs> um, she let me stay home from school, 
<laughs> which I'm not sure I would let my kid do because I'd, I'd tell her, like, you know, go suck it up. You know, there's right. going to be, you know, bigger things that happen to you. But, so, yeah, we were, you know, we were big, uh, you know, big Cincinnati sports fans. And, and for me, it was just, you know, mainly because of, because of my, mainly my dad, but my parents, yeah. they were, they never, and then, you know, we would come, I would come every summer um, and stay with my grandparents in Taylor Mill. And my grandfather would get, uh, you know, he would get Reds tickets, and we would go all the time, you know, sure. uh, in the summer. So we were, you know, we were. I always felt pretty connected to what was happening here, you know, even as a kid. And then when we moved, you know, it was, you know, it was, I, I, it was, it was you know, just, you know, heaven on earth for me from a sports standpoint because I loved UC basketball. You know, you can never watch UC basketball on in the East Coast. And, um to get to a, a major professional sporting event on the East Coast requires, you know, it's hard, you know, it's, there's a lot of traffic and everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the idea that you could just, uh, you know, we could leave our house in Taylor Mill and be sitting in our seats at, you know, Riverfront Stadium within a 30-minute time span, I thought was just cool as hell. So, yeah, absolutely. you know, I, we were, uh, from a sports standpoint, I was, I was really kind of happy to move uh, from a social standpoint, you know, kind of sucked but right <laughs> um i liked being around the, the teams i cared about so there you go. that's the story so were you a mass communications major then when you were at the university of dayton yeah you know i mean i i uh you know i'm always asked you know like well you know how do you get a job in sports and i go you know i don't number one i don't work in sports i work in radio and for me um, I was kind of just telling somebody this the other day. I, I it, for me, it was the attraction to the business was not the sports end of it. It was always radio. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, you, you know, my my parents sounds really corny and kind of cliche, but my mom and and I was always in the car, seemingly yeah. as a kid, whether it be with my mom, uh, listening to music, and you know, I, I it was and am still a, a huge you know, seventies and eighties music nerd because of my mom. Sure. Right. Um, and all? I mean, I, I could tell you like, if, if you name a song for me from the eighties, I can maybe tell you like when it hit on the billboard. I'm like, I'm, it's weird, but anyway, like rain man for seventies and eighties music. We were always, yeah, we were always around, uh, was always around. And then my dad listened to talk radio and then we listened to sporting events. And so I, I, I just, I, I always thought, uh, what was coming out of the the speaker of my mom or dad's car was just the person always sounded like they were having a hell of a lot of fun. It really didn't sound like work. Um, and you know, my interest in radio evolved as I got older, I got interested in talk shows mm-hmm. and many, many of them were sports and some were not. And it just always sounded like the person uh, doing the broadcast was, you know, just, just cool. I mean, just having yeah. a good time and, and um not really working more you know, having fun yeah i mean yeah. you know communicating with people and i just always thought that sounded cool and the idea of you know you say it here and it comes out over here just <laughs> was always uh fascinating to me so then you know obviously as a kid i was a huge sports fan and mike and the uh, when i got when i got to thinking about like you know what it was that i wanted to do when i was in you know high school and maybe even junior high school i thought well, I have a, I have a thing for broadcasting, and I'm a huge sports fan. So 
how can I marry those two things? And the thing that I kind of gravitated toward was, you know, sports talk radio. And so, uh, yeah, I, 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 I kind of knew, uh, if you would have asked me when I was 14, 15 years old, what do you want to do one day? I would have said, I want to host a, uh, sports talk radio show. Um, and I would have had no idea of how to make that happen. So yeah, I went to, I went to the university of Dayton. Um, and the only reason I, I decided on, on that school, uh, was they had a, uh, they had a campus radio station and, uh, you, which, you know, I, I, I would have gone to UC in a heartbeat, but they didn't have a campus radio station. They didn't have what they have now, which is Bearcast. I mean, I, you know, they didn't, there was none of that. So I was looking for a place kind of close to home where I could get on the air and the, you know, the more scholastic end of it really didn't matter to me that much. I, I certainly understood the value of a degree and, um, you know, I, I certainly was looking to have a good time, but you know, more than anything, it was, I wanted to go to a place that could afford me a chance. And this is pre podcast kind of, you know, we really didn't know what the internet was. This is 95, 1995. So, um, there were a couple of schools I looked at, like we went to Western Kentucky, which I thought would have been cool, but you couldn't at the time, you had to wait till you were a junior to be on the air. You could work behind the scenes, you could run the board, you could do all this other stuff. And I thought that's just okay. stupid because the idea is to give kids as much practice and practical experience as possible. Right. So at UD, I was on the air before I ever took a class. Um, huh. And so that's, that's kind of why I went there and, uh, got a relatively useless electronic media degree, <laughs> and uh, you know here we are. That's all right. I, I have a communications degree from Wright State, so I I totally get it. Yeah, it's useless. I yep. mean, I tell kids all we you know we're not allowed to have interns anymore. But the first thing I used to say to our interns is, why don't you drop out of school? Like <laughs> you're here, you're in the building, right? Yep. Like, right whatever in. whatever you do moving forward is is all going to be about the practical experience you get. You're not going to learn anything else in a classroom, so. If I could do it all over again, I loved my time at UD and I made lifelong friends and I loved the school and, you know, I'm, I'm, I was uh, the second male in my family to get a degree, so I was really proud of that. But it, it, uh, in all honesty, I could have gotten a jump start on what I wanted to do if I just would have, you know, begged to work for free at a radio station when I was 17 years old. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. So then, <clears throat> I, get, I guess, how long have you worked for Clear Channel, iHeartRadio and all of that? If uh, if you count the summer that I was an intern, uh, it's been 22 years. Wow! So I was a, I was an intern, uh, which would have been between my sophomore and junior years. I I was going to school with a girl who had been an intern, and I mean, I listened to WLW religiously. Like I knew the station. Right. I, I knew who was on. I knew what it was supposed to sound like. Like I knew it. So, um. I had taken classes with a girl who had described her internship and she's like describing this awesome experience working with these guys that I, you know, revered. They were, you know, these guys that were larger than life to me. And this like illustrates for you how much of a nerd I was at 19 because most 19 year olds are thinking about how do I get in this girl's pants? And I'm thinking about how do I get her internship? So, uh, yeah, you know, she was really cool. She, um, kind of put me in touch with uh, a guy who was a producer there. And then uh, I, I'm sure you guys at least know who Mike McConnell is. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, M- Mike went to UD. Okay. Okay. And uh, she was able to convince him to speak to a class at UD and uh, introduce myself. I had, you know, told him, hey, I talked to one of your producers and interested in being an intern. And um, he was nice enough to give me his number, his personal number, and uh, called him kind of toward the end of the year, end of the semester. And uh, he was nice enough to kind of figure out a way for me to be an intern. And I did that for, uh, you know, three months. And then, um, you know, you start school back again, and, and then, you know, you're gone. You're at school for, you know, late August, September, October, November. And then you have Christmas break, and it's like five month, five weeks long, and I'm like, well, I wonder if, uh, you know, they could use some help at the radio station. So mm-hmm. I called. The guy's name was Yancey Deering, longtime producer at the radio station, and I said, hey, I'm going to be home for five weeks, you know, aside from waiting tables. I got all sorts of free time. Uh, can I come in and help? And, uh, you know, as an intern, it was just the coolest thing ever. Sure. And, and the main reason, the two main reasons why were number one, I knew I was around people who were the best at what they did. Uh-huh. So I knew like, I'm around the guys that I need to pay attention to. And also the willingness of people to kind of, you know, take a kid under their wing and answer their questions and, you know, kind of show them how they do things is invaluable. And, and I, I'll always be grateful for that. But I went back during Christmas break and, and I was there for a couple of weeks. And then right before Christmas, um, I think it was the, assistant program director came to me and said, Hey, we need someone to run the board on Christmas. And, uh, you know, obviously the control board. And, and I said, uh, yeah, I could do that. And he said, well, we, we can't do that without paying you. Oh. And I'm kind of like, well then great pay me. Cause interns <laughs> were unpaid. And right. he goes, well, then we're going to have to hire you. And I'm like, Where well, what are you trying to say here? And he's like, we want to hire you. So from that point <laughs> forward, I was still a school, a student at UD. I became an employee of the radio station and I did that for like a half a year. And then, um, my senior year in college, I was the producer of the Jim Scott show. So I was driving back and forth between Cincinnati and Dayton, uh, which was, you know, awful for my social life, given the fact that Jim's <laughs> show starts at 5 a.m. But, you know, it was worth it to me because I knew that was, that was where I wanted to start my career. And, you know, fortunately, and, and maybe to some degrees, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I've been there ever since. So you kind of expanded your career a little bit with The Athletic. So you were writing your blog for 700 and kind of putting it out there. And I feel like you've taken an expanded blog role now with the athletics. So what's that all been like? Uh, it's been a huge challenge. You know, I'm not a trained writer. I'm not really a trained anything. (laughs) As you could tell, I could barely put two sentences together. Um, when I started on the air, which was full time in 2007, you know, I'd been kind of the, fill-in guy right in addition to all my other duties for a couple of years and then in 07 they, they put me on the air uh, and at the time it was in the morning and they said look uh this internet thing is probably not going to go away we should probably have everybody do blogs and i, I like i'm not kidding that, that our industry and not just us but our industry was really really slow to kind of adapt to the internet you mm-hmm. know like am radio in, yeah, well, AM and, and FM as well. Like they, I just think I, I remember sitting in a meeting, you know, in two thousand four or five, and they're like, "Hey, you know, 
this internet things out there. We, we should have station web pages and we should monetize this. And you know, people are actually listening on our stream. And I mean, it was like, yeah, guys. <laughs> but anyway, they, uh, the guy who was really kind of on the forefront of all that was Lance, Lance McAllister. Hmm. And he was doing a blog. He was doing like his own blog that wasn't even affiliated with the radio station for a couple of years. And then they came to him and said, Hey, you know, I'm sure they paid him, but Hey, you've got to start doing your online stuff for us. Yeah. So by the time I get on the air, he's, he's been blogging for like three or four years. And, and to this day, he's still the best at it because the man doesn't sleep. I don't know <laughs> what he does. He just, he, he is nonstop on his, on his, fucking blog i mean i mean i don't know i do not know how he does it um and and it's it's a little bit of everything for everybody so you know they come to me and they're like hey you've got to do a blog and i'm like well yeah that would be a hell of a lot easier if lance wasn't already the king of blogging like if i was in a market where nobody else was doing it i would just do what lance was doing but so i'm kind of thinking about it and i go what i'll do is i'll do kind of like a guy's blog Right, and yeah. this is sort of, you know, pre barstool sports. So my blog was like, "Hey, here's uh, Mila Kunis in a bathing suit. Check it out." And I mean, really, I like that. I look back on it, and, and <laughs> nothing dramatically distasteful, but like stuff that I'm like, you know, what am I doing? And then I, I started to like mix in some sports opinions and throw in some thoughts. And a friend of mine who had one time worked at the radio station and had since moved on to go work for the Reds. And she's still there. And it was, she, we're at lunch one day and she says, you know, all of that BS you have on your blog, the silly videos and the girls, like that obscures your opinions. Like you want those to stand out. Not, not the, the chick in her, you know, in her bathing suit. Like you, you want that to stick out. And I, I started to listen to that. I started to think about that. And then people would come up to me and go, man, I love your blog. You know, how about this picture of, you know, God knows who, Brooklyn Decker. And I would go, well, you know, I also wrote about Adam Dunn. Like, yeah, we didn't see that. So I kind of started to think about it. And I'm like, All right, the one thing Lance isn't doing is like writing columns. He's, he's writing, and this is not a knock on him at all, but he's kind of writing like bullet point observations, right, right. stuff like that. So I started to do that, and my thought was nobody else is writing sports columns in Cincinnati, and the guy who is, you got to pay for it, Paul Doherty. So yeah. I started to do that. I started to really take it seriously. I started to really, really uh, teach myself kind of, you know, how to, how to write. Um, there were some things I did that I was, you know, really, really proud of, and some things that I look back on, and it's like, <laughs> man, that's terrible, but... Um, <laughs> You know, I, 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 I kind of viewed that as a way of, number one, kind of differentiating myself a little bit from Lance. Um, and, and, and also, you know, it's when you write something on the web, there's a little bit more permanence to it. Like, it's out there and it's easy to get. Right. Whereas a radio show, you know, I say it, I hope you heard it, or I hope you found the, found the podcast. <laughs> Whereas if I write it, I could just say, there it is, go. So... I did that for a number of years, and then, you know, The Athletics started. One of their uh, co-founders is a Cincinnatian who kind of knew who I was. I didn't know that. Uh, and he he was, uh, you know, when they launched, they always had, you know, in the back of their mind, we want to start something in Cincinnati. 
Um, I had known C-Trend for years, right. and he was a, a big advocate. So I've enjoyed it. It's um, it's different because I have an editor, and I'm surrounded by professional writers, and I'm not a professional writer. So I'm <laughs> I'm really and and I, I I struggle sometimes between you know that line of writing like a fan, but also writing like a uh, responsible adult, and that's sometimes kind of <laughs> kind of hard. But I really enjoy it. Um, it's sometimes hard for me to kind of get going when I, I sit down and write, but once I do, I I enjoy the process. I don't know if the columns are any good. They're probably dog shit, but they seem uh, they seem okay with it. I don't know. I, but I, I like doing it. It's uh, you know something I never thought I'd be doing. So it's there, really there we are. It's really cool to see how much traction the athletics gained over the last like year yeah, or so year, i mean yeah. i think you guys just hit like six hundred thousand. i think we just talked with justin about that last week um so i don't know it's it's cool to be like at the beginning of this whole giant thing but yeah i mean i, I think you know the people who started it really tapped into um an appetite for um uh, smart writing you know I, I think first of all the 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 inherent and you know i say this as somebody who makes their main living in an advertising driven medium. Right. Um, but I, I do think there's, there's something about, I can go here and I'm not going to have a car salesman pop up and scream at me or, <laughs> exactly. you know, that kind of thing. So I, I think there's, uh, but I also, I just think there's, there's an appetite for like well thought out, not hastily done. When I, when I first started writing for them, you know, the Bengals would play a game and, and this is last year. And, and I would like, you know, on a Sunday, try to craft something as quickly as possible because that's what I was always sort of, I, that's what I always thought you had to do. Right. And, you know, their, their sort of approach is we'd rather wait if what's being written is good. Right. So, you know, there's not a lot of real hot takey kind of stuff on the website. The coverage is really smart. You're not getting game stories you're getting a lot of sort of storytelling. Right. Correct. Um, and, and I don't do any of that. I usually just write, you know, one or two opinion columns a week and if they're good, great, if not, you know, whatever. But, um, I think they really tapped into an appetite as much as people have talked about, you know, pivoting to video and, you know, the, the, the written word is dead. Uh, you know, almost everybody I know who's into sports really likes to read Yeah. Yep. now, uh, you know, some, like to read more than others, but, uh, you know, I, I think they really tapped into the appetite for, you know, really well-crafted, really smart, and not hastily done uh, written work. That's true. That's why I like to read it, at least. All right, so we wanted to get to know you a little bit better before we kind of got into this whole state of Cincinnati sports thing and wanted to give you a heads up. I got about three to four questions for each of these five groups, um, I know you kind of got some time constraints, so I wanted you to keep that in mind. You're fine. Um, but I want to give it to you to pick what you want to talk about. So we'll let you go in order of whatever order you want to go. Um, <clears throat> Reds, UC football, Bengals, UC basketball, and FCC. Well, it's your show, Sam, <laughs> so you should drive the topics. Fair enough. Well, then we'll go in the order that we got them. Um, starting off with the Reds. What's your favorite Reds memory? My favorite Reds memory of all time is uh, June 30th, 2006. Uh, Adam Dunn's walk-off Grand Slam against Bob Wickman. Into the river. Uh, it was a Friday night against the Indians. 
that Reds team, you know, if you remember, was and maybe you don't. Uh, you know, you guys could be twelve years old for all I know. <laughs> they, they uh, that that year they kind of hung in the race for a while, and you know, even like mid-August they were like. I think they went on the West Coast and played a, a ten-game trip, and when they left, they had a one-game lead, and they ended up, you know, going two and eight or whatever. But mm-hmm. point being, that they were they they kind of flirted with being decent that year. In fact, they weren't eliminated. The Cardinals won the division with eighty-three wins, but they they weren't eliminated till the like the second to last day of the year. So it's kind of a fun summer that they had just they'd gotten new owners with uh, the Castellini. Had mm-hmm. just gotten Brandon Phillips, had just gotten Bronson Arroyo, so there was kind of a sense of, you know, for the first time in a while, the Reds. I mean, to me, it kind of felt a little bit like this year, but to a degree even better, where you're like, wow, the, you know, the Reds are at least pretty interesting. But the, so the, you ha- they had this summer. The, they play on a Friday night against the Indians. Um, they're losing seven zip. Uh, I think Juan Castro hits a home run and like one of the only ones of his life. <laughs> and then they give a run back in the eighth <laughs> inning, and I'm at the game with my dad. My dad and I went to you know a ton of Reds games. Sure. Yep. And uh, so we're kind of watching Bob Wickman. He's walking dudes, and you know we're watching, all right, Dunn's going to come up. If they walk you know, these next two guys, Dunn's going to come up. And he looks at me and goes, if he gets to Adam Dunn, we're going to go home happy. And sure enough, he hits uh, an absolute laser. And our seats were in right field in the moon deck. I still have the tickets uh, to this day. Uh, and the ball went, as I remember it, like to our left. And then I've seen replays of it. And it, it kind of went over us. But um, <laughs> I just, I'll never forget, like, the comeback, the feeling of, holy crap, you know, the Reds are going to win the division. Right, right. And, uh, and I just remember, like, walking back to my car with, you know, my we, my dad and I, we had both parked, you know, close to each other. And he had to get up and go somewhere the next morning. And we're both kind of at our cars, and he's like, you know, let's let's go get beers. You know, which I was going to go do anyway. So, <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah, that's cool. I'm meeting some people over in Covington. And, uh, you know, we were just both so charged up by it. And there's been others. I mean, you know, I was there for both clinchers and – right. Uh, you know, Homer's no hitter and, um, you know, all that. But for me, uh, the, the most personal one, uh, and mainly because my dad's not with me anymore is right. that night. That's just, that's the, that's the most fun I've ever had walking out of great American ballpark. That was the best. That's awesome. Very cool. So <clears throat> how do you feel about the moves that the Reds made this season? Notably the Sonny Gray trade, the Homer Bailey trade for, Wood, Puig, Farmer, Kemp, uh, the signings of Dietrich, Iglesias, Galvis, bringing up a lot of these young kids, albeit some of them a little later than they should have, um, and Senzel, Van Meter, um, even some of the pitching that they have now. Uh, what do you think about these moves? Is it something to be encouraged by? What are your thoughts? Well, I, I think there's, I think there's a, a stark difference between looking back and looking ahead. I think when you look back over the last 12 months, almost everything they've done has turned to gold. You know, sure. I mean, mm-hmm. you even think about the things they didn't do. A year ago at this time, I had no shortage of people screaming at me that they had to, to you know, sign Scooter Jeanette. Right. Uh, Scooter Jeanette just got let go by the Giants. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yep. Thank God they didn't do that. You know. Yep. Right. Um, you know. Yeah. They. they I, I don't know if you look over the last, maybe not even 12 months, if you just look back over the last, you know, eight or nine months, they, they haven't made a bad decision in terms of player acquisition. Now, I think they've made some questionable moves 
in terms of player usage, mm-hmm. but they traded Homer Bailey, who was never going to pitch here again, mm-hmm. for four living people. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, like literally four living human beings they got for Homer Bailey, and I know there were a couple of minor league players involved as well. Right, right. Um, I, I think Puig gave them exactly what they were looking for. I don't think they ever were going to re-sign him. I, I'm not sure Puig would have wanted to re-sign here. And then they flipped him for a guy who, you know, last year was an all-star. Right. And, you know, Trevor Bauer has not been very good here. But, but you know, that's those are the sorts of of moves that I think smart teams make. Um, you know, Farmer has, has proven to be useful. Alex Wood, it, you know, it kind of feels like um, we're not going to be seeing much of him beyond this season. And, you know, Matt Kemp obviously barely played. But, right. You know that I think that move served its purpose. It energized the fan base and it did make the team better. Um, you know the Sonny Gray thing was a you know a, a great great wager. Mm-hmm, they basically yeah. bet on getting him out of New York and pairing him with a pitching coach, and it's worked. And um, you know he's been fantastic uh, this season. So I, I don't know how how you can't be you know pleased with that jose iglesias minor league contract you know some of these more under the radar things tanner roark gave him exactly what they were looking for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then you know the system has produced uh aristides aquino and you know josh van meter has gotten a shot and yeah. the freddie galvis thing is you know he certainly has provided them some offense i think he's i think acquiring him is the kind of smart move you make because it protects you against overpaying perhaps a guy like Jose Iglesias. So I think all those things are, are really, really good. But I think the, the hard thing now is all of those things that are good, like if we drew up a list and wrote down every move, every transaction the Reds have made, and, you know, they never should have brought Matt Kemp North, and, and Nick Senzel should have been here on opening day. And, right. mm-hmm. you know, there, there are some things you could really criticize them for, but, if we if we took a piece of paper and on one side was all the good stuff, the other side would be a handful of bad things. Right. Still, they're not going to finish above 500. They're not even going to come close to going to the playoffs. They're going to finish with around, you know, something like 84, 85, 86 losses. It, it goes to show, you know, number one, the depths that they were trying to dig out from. And I think number two how many more things they have to get done to put themselves in a position to, you know, contend for anything meaningful. And, you know, I was talking about this on the air the other day. You know, everybody looks at the standings and says, well, you know, the Reds are close. They're not that far away. And I go, well, yeah, but I, I can look at the National League standings, and I could say that a- anyway, about yeah. 14 of the 15 teams. You know, everybody's kind of cloistered close together. So, you know, obviously this offseason is critical. They're, they're clearly trying to win within this next window of two or three years while they have Luis Castillo and Sonny Gray and, you know, next year Trevor Bauer and Joey Votto, for better or for worse, is still a red, and Suarez is in his prime. But they need a lot of individual, um, you know, internal improvements. They, they need guys who have been here for a little while or have been here for a short amount of time to take major leaps next season. Um, they're going to have to find upgrades from elsewhere. They're going to have to hope that their starting pitching holds up the way it has this season. Like so many more things have to happen on top of all of the good things they've already done. Right. And I, I certainly think it's possible, but I, I do think there's there are Reds fans who believe like, well, you know, they were naturally better this year, so they'll just they'll be better next year, and mm-hmm. you know, voila, they'll win you know 89 games next year, and. <laughs> I, I think going from I, I say this all the time on the air. I think it's really easy 
to go from crappy to okay. I think it's really hard to go from <laughs> yep. okay to pretty good. Yeah. And I think it's really hard to go to to go from okay to really good. Right. And Great. and that's where they are now. It's a better place than they have been, but I think this is the most difficult step. I think this is the most difficult step in the process going from kind of middle of the road to, you know, really putting yourself in a position to contend for something meaningful. Yeah. I mean, you pretty much covered my question here, but uh I mean, what are your expect your expectations for the off season and its next season? You know, do do we sign a Rendon? Um, what are your thoughts on some of the moves that they make here in the off season? Well, you know, signing Rendon specifically, I I, I think number one is, um, you know, the the free agency market has changed so much mm-hmm. that two years ago it was easy to look at a player like him and assume that there were going to be you know, five or six teams trying to get him. Well, what we've seen in baseball is a lot of teams have kind of sat out free agency. Is that a permanent thing? Or are there now enough teams who think that they're close that now they're going to go for it and now they're going to spend on free agents? And does that drive the price for a guy like Rendon up? I tend to believe that the, that the answer to that question is yes. Uh, and, and frankly, I think the sport has really suffered from teams really not trying all they can to win, trying to do everything they can to win. So I, I think there are going to be teams that look at this offseason and go, okay, we've got to start being active. I think that makes a player like Anthony Rendon, you know, somebody who's probably out of their price range, I think he's going to get 100 mil. Um, and, and so I, I just don't know that, that that's going to work. But, you know, I, I will say this, Dave, I think they're in a position, um, they're going to have some money to spend. You know, they don't really have a ton of money com- committed to players for next year. Right. You know, obviously Votto and Suarez and, you know, a handful of other guys, uh, Bauer. But they'll have some, they'll have some cash to spend. I, I think they, they have some guys that they can, you know, perhaps package in a deal. But, you know, you don't, you don't go and get Sonny Gray and bring in Trevor Bauer knowing you're only going to get him for a year and then not try to add on top of it. So I do think they're going to be aggressive. Now, you know, specifically what that means, I don't know. <laughs> you know, look, nobody saw them getting Yassiel Puig. Right. No one really saw them getting Trevor Bauer. And so I tend to think that whatever they do is not going to be something that we spend a lot of time talking about before they actually do it. Fair enough. That's a good point, yeah. All right, moving on. UC football. What's your favorite UC football memory? I mean... That's easy. Yep. That's uh, Pike to Benz. Heinz Field 2009, man. That's uh, the greatest sporting event I've ever been at. That's, you know, that's – I don't know any UC fan who was, uh, you know, alive for that that would answer it any differently. That was – that's, that, that's, that's my favorite sports memory of all time um, for a lot of different reasons. But, yeah, that's, that's at the top of the list. And uh, I think it's cool they're going to celebrate that team in that season at uh, Nippert Stadium this year. But, yeah, that's – uh, that's that remains. I could recite for you almost, you know, minute by minute that day and that evening. That was that was just a that was a just a, a marvelous time. That was awesome. Speaking of that season, uh, is it true that you have the cease and desist order framed in your office for the Pike T-shirts? <laughs> uh, first of all, I know we're up against when I told you I could do this. Don't worry about that. I can okay. wait a little longer. Um, Thank you. You know, so I so we did that in 2009. Um, I got a cease and desist from the Heisman Trophy Trust, and I had it in my office. And then they renovated our building. Oh no! So I had to move out of my office. 
uh, you know, and then, you know, since 2009, I've moved. I think I'm in my fifth place since then with my current life. <laughs> so in the middle of all that, I cannot, and I was having a conversation with the guy who made the t-shirts for me like two weeks ago. Um, cause he's remade the shirts right. and I'm going great. Maybe 10 years later, you can get another cease and desist. Cause I don't have anything to do with it now. And he goes, <laughs> well, you still have yours. And I go, I had it in a frame. Like I got it framed and, uh, I don't know what the hell happened to it. But yeah, right. I got a cease and desist from uh, the Heisman Trophy Trust. And I got a panic phone call from the compliance officer at UC <laughs> who was in a panic that Tony wasn't going to be eligible for the next game unless I stopped immediately. And I stopped. I, I will admit to not really stopping immediately because I had some orders to process. But right. we, uh, we ultimately did stop the, the production and the distribution of the shirts. That's where I heard it. It was on his podcast when they had uh, Tony on a couple weeks ago. I don't know that any of that situation happens in 2019. No. Unbelievable. Well, uh, I think would would I have to see my well, the reason I did it is I did it for two reasons. Number one, obviously to get attention. Sure. I mean, yeah. Because what we did is we we made the website pikeforheisman dot com, but we connected it to my website, so uh, we have <laughs> online <laughs> bonuses. So essentially, if you went to pikeforheisman dot com, you went to my website. Right, nice. And so I did it for that reason. The money we gave to Mitch's mission, I mean, that, that was right. not, uh, you know, it wasn't for my profit or, or still great. 50 shirts profit, but I, I did it to get attention. Yeah. And I, it worked. But I also did it to kind of, to kind of, you know, move UC along a little bit because, you know, you had all these schools that were like pushing their Heisman candidates and doing it before the season started. Right. I, I remember once getting in the mail an Antoine Randall L. mouse pad in July. <laughs> And it was, I don't even, I don't have a Heisman vote. Um, so it was kind of like, hey, if, if, if UC's not going to do it, I will. And uh, I awesome. kind of feel like if they were in a similar type of situation, like somebody at the, at the school would go, okay, you know, it, we should, uh, you know, we should get behind this effort. And, you know, they didn't 10 years ago. That's nice. why I did it. Well, I was going to ask this at the end, but it only makes sense to ask it now. So what has it been like mentoring Tony Pike as he, helps as he actually develops his broadcasting career you know what it's, it's been great I, I don't think i'd mentor him at all I, you know I, it's <sighs> been it's been great um you know number one um you know what i love about tony if, if you're gonna work with me and if you're gonna work you know and i think in in our building but i'll tell you if you're gonna work with me um we're gonna make fun of you <laughs> and, and, and and I expect you to give it back to me, you know. And so, you know, one of the first jokes I ever made to Tony was, um, I don't remember specifically what it was, but it was basically about how bad of an NFL quarterback he was. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, implied in that is always the respect that he got to the NFL. Like right, he sure. realized right, right. every child's dream. Right. And he doesn't take himself seriously at all. You know, I, 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 you, you meet so many athletes who, you know, it never really worked out for them at that level, and they're bitter or pissed off, yeah. and they feel like they got screwed. And I, I think, you know, Tony through, completed six passes in the NFL. I think he's grateful for every single one of them. So yeah. uh, I've always really admired uh, his, you know, making fun of his four picks in the, in the Orange Bowl. And um, 
I think he understands that beneath all that is, you know, somebody who is as a as a fan of the Bearcats, you know, was a really, really huge fan of Tony. And I, I thought the way he handled himself as a player was great. I thought he represented a you know, a really cool story and kind of being a, a kid who was on the verge of leaving college to a you know, a guy who was an all league performer. But no, you know, with with, with Tone, the the two things that I like the most are number one, he's willing to give an opinion. Yeah. And that's not always the case. And um you know, he's 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 willing to to kind of learn i mean he's willing to kind of take uh suggestions and you know he's uh he's a funny dude um he can you know talk about a, a number of things um yeah it's been it, it's been fun it, it's been fun to kind of be connected to him and and you know frankly even more than than that uh you know develop a friendship with him and and spend some time with him you know, especially on the road when uh, when the Bearcats travel, um, you know that's a really good time. But yeah, he's, you know, he really he really knows, a, especially you know, obviously about football. He really knows a lot. He really knows a lot about quarterback play. He you know can really really, um, you know, kind of re- relate his experiences and talking about the modern game, whether it's the NFL or college football. And you know, most importantly, again, he's in our business. You got to be opinionated, mm-hmm. sure. and he's willing to do that, which I think is the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely, very cool. So, kind of talking about the team now, though, how impressed have you been with Luke Fickle's recruiting, and with the unexpected success of last season, along with a much tougher out-of-conference schedule this year? Looking at you, Ohio State. <laughs> um, how do you think this season's going to unfold? Well, you know, the recruiting, it's impossible to not get caught up in it. And, and you know, I don't want to take away from what Luke Fickle has done, but um, it's not rocket science. <laughs> you <laughs> just got to look in your Go backyard. recruit this area. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, yep. you know he, yep. God love him for doing it, and he's gotten commitments from kids that he's had to fight off Power 5 schools to get. And But to me, if, if you know what you're doing, you're going to do that. I mean, you're not going to get them all. Um, you're not going to get most of them, but you're going to get your share if if you have a well-run program. And it, it, I mean, to me, it was it, it was just the, the Tuberville thing. I I never understood from the get-go. I, I yep. it, you know I I didn't really think it was going to you know turn out to be as bad as it was. But you know, I would talk to a handful of high school football coaches, and and they would say, you know, I've never met Tommy Tuberville, <laughs> and I'm not talking oh, yeah. about like you know. Um, schools that aren't producing kids i'm, I'm talking about like LaSalle. schools where you know you know the coach had met uh, urban meyer and you, you know the coach had met you know mark d'antonio and um you know mark stoops and and people like that so you know it was to me it was it was like you know all, all you got to do is kind of try to recruit this area yeah. and you're gonna be okay yeah. mm-hmm. I, I think the more impressive thing though and and you know again the recruiting stuff is fantastic um I think it's what he's done with the talent that he inherited. I mean, um, how well coached that team was last year, how well prepared they were last year. You know, I think people forget if you, if you look at their defense in 2017, they were ranked 114th nationally in like 10 different categories. Obscenely bad. I mean, one of the worst defenses uh, in the history of the program. And, and last year they were one of the country's best. Right. Yep. Th- that way to do it. talent has a lot to do with that, but you know I, I think people kind of gloss over the coaching end of it. So, 
you know, that to me is where I've, I've really been impressed. Um, you know, as far as the season this year, you talked about the non-conference schedule. I'll be honest with you. You know, what, what's, what I think is daunting is their league schedule. Because if you go back to last year, and again, I don't, I don't want to take away credit from what they did a season ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Navy ended up not being as good as anybody thought they were going to be. Right. USF, they caught at the end of the year at home when they totally turned into a pumpkin. They did not have to play Memphis, and they did not have to play Houston. And Connecticut and ECU were atrocious. Now, Connecticut is still going to be atrocious. ECU is probably still going to be pretty bad. <laughs> but you're replacing Tulane. a pretty mediocre SMU team that you needed a walk-off pick in overtime to beat with Memphis. Right. Yep. Now, Memphis is 12-2 and against everybody else in the conference over the last two years, not named UCF. And Houston could win a league title as well. I, I, I tend to think sure. Memphis is going to come out of that side of, of, the, of the league this year. So the schedule, you're replacing SMU and Tulane with road games against Houston and, uh, and Memphis. You still have to play UCF, and if you were to look at all the group of five schools and pick the one that was most likely to, to play in a group of six or in a New Year's Six bowl game, I think most of us would pick UCF. The Ohio State game is obviously, you know, incredibly daunting. Right. Marshall won nine games last year, and the game is in their building. Everybody expects UCLA to be better, so they ain't going eleven and two. No. Nope. Uh, and you just you just kind of wonder how much will their improvements be offset by you know upgrades in the schedule? And and I, as much as you can look at the non-league within the conference itself, you know there's. Um, you know, there's there's some some landmines, and so that I think that worries me. But you know, I, I like the talent they have. Obviously, there's you know been some injury news this week, which is is pretty sobering. Yep. Um, I, I still worry about the offense being able to take uh, the top off opposing defenses. Um, the offensive line, I think, would be you know a little bit of a preseason concern. But you know, they they had so many young players who contributed last year that kind of you kind of can't wait to see what they can do this year. And how they grown. You know, hopefully. Hopefully, collectively, um, offset some of the the issues presented by the schedule. I keep saying it. I think this could be a team that's better than last year's team, but the record's the record's not going to reflect it. Yeah. But. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're they're you know just from a, a Vegas standpoint, very slight um, favorite against UCLA. They'll be underdogs against Ohio State. I still think by the time the game comes around, there's a chance they're going to be underdogs against U- UCF. Uh, they could be underdogs against Houston. They could be underdogs against Memphis. Not totally beyond the realm of possibility. They're underdogs in the road against uh, USF. Now, will they lose all those games? You know, I don't think so. But, you know, De'Ara King is probably going to be the player of the year in the conference. you got to go to Houston and play him. Um, you know, it, uh, UCF brings back a lot of dudes from, you know, they've been the best program in the league the last two years. So, yeah, I, this is I, – I think what, what – people tend to not want to admit is as much as you know nobody wants the american athletic conference and as bad as you know uconn's not going to be their problem anymore as bad as some of the teams at the bottom of the league are this is actually a pretty decent football league and and i think cincinnati fans are are you know going to get a taste of of how good it is this year excited should be fun to watch excited front row in the bailey area so can't wait um moving on to professional Talking about the Bengals. Um, what is your favorite Bengals memory? 
that's a good question. My absolute favorite Bengals memory. Um, I, you know, I don't think I've ever thought about that. I have a favorite Bengals team, which would be the uh, the O five team. Oh, yeah. that's fair. Um, yeah. you know that was that was that was fantastic. I'll, t- I'll tell you what it is. I, 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 this is going to sound so stupid. I'll tell you what it is. Um, <laughs> in '95, they weren't very good. Yeah. Um, Pittsburgh went to the Super Bowl that year. Bengals go to Pittsburgh. I was a freshman at UD. Okay. And um, they're playing the Steelers on a Thursday night. You know, we're surrounded. Our dorm room, Stewart Hall, it's it's all these clowns from western Pennsylvania and eastern Ohio and <laughs> black and gold. And, I mean, I, I, it was so bad when the Steelers played in the Super Bowl that year, I came home for the game. I wasn't going <laughs> to watch that crap. So, um, Bengals go there on a Thursday night. And Jeff Blake throws Blake. a bunch of deep passes. I love Jeff Blake. Like, Same. I mean, I yeah. just, my cousin showed me he's got a, a throwback Jeff Blake jersey. And I'm like, how come you haven't told me about that? Like, I wear it. <laughs> I, I love Jeff Blake. Um, that That's probably my favorite memory. They won 27-9. to It was, you know, it was a Bengals team that was certainly not good, but of all those lousy teams in the nineties, maybe the best. Right. Right. <laughs> I think that's they fine. went I think they went seven and nine. Um so that that's that leads to the top of, of my mind. Um the other one would be uh oh five they uh when they clinched the division against the Lions. Um uh, you know, I just I, I love that season. I yeah. love that team. Um I thought that was. A, I thought that you was know, a year. All anybody wants to talk about is how it ended, but they beat the Steelers two weeks prior. It kind of it put some distance between themselves and Pittsburgh. They came back the following week, beat the Browns, I think twenty three to twenty, and then my neighbor and I drove to Detroit, and they were doing the Millen Man March because you know Matt Millen owned the team and they were awful and yeah. um, the Bengals and it was I remember at kickoff they're on the road in Detroit and you looked around and the place was black and orange. And uh, they, you know, whacked the Lions that night and clinched the division. And, you know, you just, you just kind of had the sense of this is the beginning of something great. And, and not that I never really thought they were going to win it that year, but you kind of thought like, man, the Bengals are going to be good for a while. Right. This is awesome. And, you know, never really, never really panned out that way. No. So like those, those two, it, to me, you know, sort of, sort of leap to the top of the list. Um you know, maybe maybe more than others. I mean, I, you know, I had a, a bunch as a kid, and you know, I love the, uh, the the 2015 team. But those, in terms of just, you know, being sky high about right. what they're doing, you know, those are those are are pretty much at the top of the list. So is that the first time you've been asked that question? It might be. I, yeah. Because you know, like I, I've always done the like, you know, the the 2005 team was my favorite, sure, and right. I explain why because it just for the first time in my life, it was cool to be a Bengals fan, but um, yeah, nobody's ever really asked me what my favorite uh, moment was. They asked me what my favorite play was, which would have been Peter Work against uh, Kansas City in 03. That return? Yeah, the yep. return when they were they were 9-0. and The Bengals yep. were, what, 4-5 and maybe? It was Marvin's first year. Not right. great, but yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, that was... That was cool as hell. And, like, you know, games that stand out, like when they 
at one point against Green Bay in 13, they turned it over four straight times and still won. Or they were down 24-7 against Seattle uh, two years later at home. And maybe the score was worse, and they came back and won that game. But, you know, I mean, honestly, like, if you ask me, the moment in, in my life as a Bengals fan where I have experienced the most bliss, like, unadulterated just <laughs> happiness, was when Vontez Perfect intercepted Ben Roethlisberger, oh, yep, I guess Landry God. Jones, oh, in the playoff game in 15. Like, that... Which turned, uh, that was immediately turned the, to sadness. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like uh, it was uh, uh, that for like a minute, yeah. and, like literally one minute of my life as a Bengals fan. Oh my god! It was like unadulterated just joy. Just, I, I mean, it was. I'm like, I had tears in my eyes. I'm thinking about my dad. I'm thinking about all those awful Bengals games I had endured. Like it was. That was that was like that moment was just unadulterated, yeah. pure ecstasy, and it vanquished in so a minute. Fast. And uh, yeah. you know, life as a Bengals fan has really never been the same. But that <laughs> is the happiest, like pseudo moment. That that moment right there uh, the is ever. the happiest, brief passing. <laughs> glimpse of happiness I've ever had as a Cincinnati Bengals fan. So were you sad to see Marvin go? Yeah, I wasn't sad to see him go. I, I was sad that it ended the way it did. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I was ready for him to go at the end of the prior season. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really would have been okay with it after the playoff game, and, and not because somebody had to pay for it with their head. I, I just think, it, you know his two playoff, his first playoff game and his last playoff game were bookended by his team being um, undisciplined. Yeah, because that was a story in '05 against Pittsburgh, and it was a story, um, you know, three years ago against Pittsburgh. Yeah. But you know, I, I was sad from the standpoint of I remember what those first couple of years were like when Marvin owned this town, yep. and and it felt like, you know, it, it was you know almost a certainty that they were going to win big with Marvin and, and, you know, he, he felt cutting edge and he felt new and different and he made the Bengals cool. And, um, it, it saddened me that he was there for so long and, and that promise, that potential was never completely realized. Um, and that a lot of people don't want to acknowledge those things of, of what Marvin meant to, to this team and to this fan base when he first got here. But was I sad to see him go? No. I mean, it was, it was time. It was time the year before. I think the Bengals have paid dearly for keeping him around another year. Um, and, you know, last year was just, in every sense, awful. In large part because it felt like, even if the results wouldn't have been better, the feeling around the results would have been a little bit different. We would have been spared the whole Hugh Jackson thing. We would have been spared, oh, you know, yet another, you know, last few weeks of, of uncertainty and, and Marvin being testy about his future i mean it just the whole thing was unlikable so i was ready to move on but uh yeah i mean the the fact that it ended you know without the payoff was uh you know i think it's sad i think it's sad for marvin i think it's sad for Bengals fans so do you believe it's really a new day and is coach taylor going to be successful here or are we going to be the laughing stock of the afc north this year I don't think they're going to be very good. I mean, I, I think what the what the Bengals are doing is is uh, is interesting because 
you know they've they've sent the message that the the problem last year was not the players and it wasn't them as, as an organization the problem was the coaching staff mm-hmm. they've basically brought back the same team now they, they've made some changes you know i mean they've I like what what they've done in, in saying you know we're not going to give Billy Price the starting job because we drafted him first last yep. year and we're we're not going to play one of these draft picks we've used at wide receiver we've got a guy who's a college free agent and we're going to use him instead because he's a better option I think all that's really good mm-hmm. but it's basically the same team and the same team that had the worst defense in the league last year I, I think their offensive line is going to be simply abysmal um, so I, I think they're they're not really setting Zach up for a chance to have instant success. Um, I, I just think that the, what you can do with this roster is pretty limited. Um, it, 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 it feels different, and it certainly is new, but new isn't always better. They still weren't very aggressive in addressing their roster. Right. They still have limitations at quarterback. Um, they still have you know, no real identity, I think, right now on defense. Uh, they they have failed to, and certainly this changes a little bit if Jonah Williams is healthy, but uh, the offensive line and linebackers, which have been weaknesses for years, are probably going to be weaknesses this year. And I think it's fair to really you know be skeptical about whether this front office is equipped, um, you know, either philosophically or intellectually, to to be able to put this coaching staff. Um, and this core of players in a position where they can succeed. I, I think it's it, it, it's new, but it doesn't feel that new, namely because it's pretty much the, the organization was handled the offseason the same way it always has, and the roster is pretty much the same. Interested to see if that changes here with Zach Taylor's future years, I guess. But moving on to UC basketball, what's your favorite UC hoops memory? Um, the Kenyon Martin game, February or uh, late February, early March, two thousand. Give Kenyon the ball. My favorite Bearcat game of all time. They're down sixteen with, yep. You know, six and a half to go, and Kenyon brings them back all by himself. And uh, Jermaine Tate steals the ball at half court, throws to to uh, Demar Johnson, he makes the shot, they win. And I watched the game at a, uh, I think since bulldozed BW three in Forest Park. And we're yeah. walking back to our cars with my buddy Rich, and I said, uh, we're winning the national title, and a week later, Kenyon breaks his leg. Um, but that that night, that is my absolute uh, top-of-the-list uh, favorite UC Bearcat memory. And, and I'll, like, I'll be honest with you, I, there, there's a lot of things that can compete for that title, but that is, uh, that is the, 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 the... When I think of... If you could put me in the moment of one UC basketball game... That's, that's it. the one that Kenyon Martin game. That's, yes, I think that was our year too. I mean, I think everybody felt that was our year. And then when he went down in the in the, in, the NCAA tournament, I just my conference tournament. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. Conference tournament, I just lost it. Yeah, I, I think because it's you know if uh, if if you know if an NFL team's quarterback gets hurt, the NFL is a it's supposed to be. It's not, but it's supposed to be kind of a cyclical league, and there's only mm-hmm. 32 teams. And right, you know, at some point your turn's going to come up again. That was it. I mean, that yeah. you know, it's uh, it's hard to be that good. It's a crapshoot as is once once you get to March. The field that year was not very strong. I mean, look at the draft class that year. That year, it's one of the worst draft classes the NBA has ever had. It it, it was theirs. It was set up to be theirs. Yeah. Now I'm 
you know, I, I'll never, I'll never tell you that I, I think it's a certainty that they would have won the title, but I, I would have loved to have taken, you know, to seen that team take their chances, um, yeah. because they could, they could defend. They had a menacing shot blocker. They could make shots from the outside. They had a good bench. I mean, they, they just, you know, they were. Uh, uh, that was it. That was the team. And you know, you just, I think what hurt about it, what hurt so much about that then is. You knew there were going to be good UC teams. You knew this program was was going to be fine, and you know, uh, for the most part, with, with you know the obvious exceptions of uh, immediately post Huggins, they have been. And you know, I, I think that'll always be the case. But that was their year to to maybe you know challenge for the whole thing. And uh, you know, I, I it, it's, it's I always laugh when I hear UC fans go, "Well, it's." Final Four bust, and I I go well, you know, <laughs> in in fifty years, fifty what? Not even fifty. What fifty fifty five years? UC basketball and Xavier basketball have played in one Final Four combined. Now, are we disregarding all those teams? No. Are we disregarding? You know that that bar is so high. Um. But that was the year that that was that was kind of the bar. That was kind of the, you know, it's it's you know title, maybe not title or bust, but right. You know, you would have loved to have seen what what would have happened in Kenyon State healthy. Yep. So kind of in the same vein as Marvin Lewis, were you sad to see Mick Cronin go? You know, I, I don't know that I was. I don't. I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't. Sad's not the right word. Right. I, right. I, that's tough because I, you know, I think you can do both things. I, I think you can say, you know, this guy was awesome, um, ran the program the right way, right? Uh, you know, what what he did to rebuild UC basketball. You know, it, it looks it looked easy on the surface. I mean, it, it, he dealt with an incredibly toxic environment, um, academic issues that he inherited. You know, fans hated him. He's replacing a legend. No one was going to the games. Like, that, it's hard to succeed when, like, people who are supposed to be on your side are rooting against you. Right. And, and so. I, I thought Mick handled, as much as people talked in later years about, well, Mick's got a huge chip on his shoulder and he's too combative. It's like, he should have. Well, yeah, when he first got the job, people who were supposed to be on his side weren't. Or were, like, him. actively rooting against him. I mean, right. I know people who were, are proud UC alums who were actively hoping he'd fail. Like, who does that? I mean, like, so uh, I, I think what, I, what the way he ran his program, it was not a program where kids were getting into trouble, where right. they were constantly cycling through kids leaving and coming and going. His players swore by him. They played hard. I mean, all that stuff. And, you know, in some of those individual teams, I love, you know, the team two years ago, I mean, good God, how do you, how do you not love that bunch? Right. You know, I mean, so I think it's possible to say all those things. Oh, but also it's frustrating watching them get bounced the way they get bounced in the NCAA tournament. Yep. And I think it's fair to go, okay, what has to happen for this program to get to the next level? Now, understand, you know, what what the next coach is going to have to deal with is, and, you know, I think John Brandon understands this. You've got to continue to run your program the way Mick did. 
you've got to recruit even better. And, and by the way, for people who say Mick can't recruit, he just got the number one point guard in the country to come to UCLA. Yeah. And his last two teams had the league player of the year. Those are Mick very recruits. True. Very true. So, so you've, you've got a, they basically hired John Brandon to win one game. I'm not the only person to say this, but they hired John Brandon to win the second game of the NCAA tournament, yeah. which, okay, sounds easy until you realize, especially in the American, you're not going to get seeded well. Um, you're, I mean, you're just not. To win in this league, you've got to beat Greg Marshall and you've got to beat, um, and I was going to say Danny Hurley, but I guess you're not going to have to worry about him much longer. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, you've got to beat Kelvin Sampson. You've, you've got to beat what Penny Hardaway is doing. Winning this league every year has meant that the, the champion has had to go either, what, 17-1 and one or 16-2. and two. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, You've got to recruit at the same level and do even better. You've got to keep up the academics. You've got to make sure the program is run the exact same way. You've got to appease all the Mick Cronin people. You've got to do a lot of stuff. Oh, and by the way, win the second game of the NCAA tournament and not do it in four or five years, like do it now. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, <laughs> I, I think with Mick, I – I hated, I hated what happened against Nevada, because that changed everything. Yeah. And and you know if it, it, there's, I, I think Mick, as much as I respect him and like him and, and as good as he was to me, um, it, it, you know his act during that game was really made me believe that that perhaps, uh, you know he's not the guy to win those types of games. Right. Um, but it's really hard to get to those types of games. Right. So you know, I I was I was I, I'm sad that so many people. It's it, to me, it's kind of like Marvin, but not entirely the same. Yeah, no. There are too many people who don't want to give Mick credit for a very very lengthy list of accomplishments because they want to point to one or two shortcomings. Right. And there are also people who decided long ago they never liked him. So they've been waiting for this time to pounce on him and say goodbye. And I think that's really unfortunate. But I'm a huge John Brandon guy. Um, and and I, I do feel like there's a – there is kind of a newness to this, a freshness to this that, that uh, you know, is I think kind of invigorating as a fan. And mm-hmm. I think ultimately could be good for the program. And – you know, I, I can still root for Mick to, to go win a title at UCLA, which I hope he does. Yeah, absolutely. I think he, I left, he, he left in perfect terms. Like, he got kind of got to go on his terms. There wasn't a firing or anything like that. And in return, we we did gain a good coach who can pick up where, where, where Mick left off. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think the one thing you wanted to be spared, I mean, you know, they were they were pretty good last year. Oh, yeah. It would have gotten bad if if they ever had a really bad year. Yeah, I mean it it just would have. Yeah. Uh, I think Mick would have been unpleasant. I think the fans really would have turned on him. I I, I think we avoided all that. They had a good year last year. They won the league tournament. They got back to the NCAA's. Jaron had a great year. Like, you know, the Iowa game went down the way it did. But yeah. you know, it's not the most unforgivable thing ever to to lose that game. But I, I think we. You know these these things rarely end perfectly. This is a more desirable ending than you know. Mick has a year where, for whatever reason, and you have him eventually. You know, you you go, I don't know, seventeen and fourteen. You play in the NIT. The building's half full, and the fans hate you. We have avoided all that, which I think is a good thing. 
Absolutely. A couple last things I want to touch on with UC before we move on to FCC, which is our last topic. Um, if you could touch on the reaction of the alumni to the hiring process, I'm kind of curious to see what your thoughts were on that. And then also, um, how impressed are you with the team that Brandon's been able to throw together in just honestly a matter of weeks of being the coach? First part of your question I missed. Uh, what did you? What were your thoughts on the reaction of the alumni to the hiring process? Um, I thought a little bit unfortunate. Um, you know, I, I, I could, I could certainly understand people having their preferences, sure. and you know, I, I get that. But it, it, it felt like large chunks of the last twelve years have seen the, a division between some of the alums and the current state of the program and that got repaired over time, but, but never to, you know, it was never 100%. Right. I, I think, and, and I, look, I, I, I believe that the people who care about UC basketball are going to get behind John Brandon. I think he has said all the right things. Um, you know, I, I thought it was unfortunate that that narrative kind of dominated things for a yeah. day or two. Um, Cause I just don't think it's helpful. I mean, I, I just don't think if you care about UC like basketball. You care about UC basketball regardless of who the coach is. Exactly. Um, and if, if, you know, very few of us are in a position to help, and some of those bigger names alum, bigger name alums are, so you can either be helpful or hurtful, and I think some, at least temporarily, chose to be hurtful. And I think he's done a very good job assembling a, a roster with, a, you know, not much time. It, it obviously helps that he gets uh, Jaron back. You know, Zach Harvey's obviously a kid with, with a lot of potential. They're going to be small. Uh, I think, you know, John was hired with the idea they're going to play a little bit more up-tempo. I think the one departure that I'm looking for maybe from Mick is Mick coached with his foot on the pedal uh, from day one. I mean, jammed down on the pedal. Uh And I don't really think John's going to coach that way. Meaning, you know, he's – I think John's going to kind of take things in stride a little bit more with the idea of having a team that's not – you know, completely spent by the time we get to March. And, and again, you know, mixed teams won conference tournaments the last two years. So, but I've always kind of wondered just with mixed style and he, he's recruited kids to that style. I just, I've always wondered if maybe kind of dialing it back a little bit in November, December, and January could yield a fresher team just mentally, uh, you know, when we get to the games that really count. So I, I, I think I'm really looking forward to, seeing if that's the case but you know if you look at all the 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 new head coaches in different spots around the country i think there's a lot of them who would like to have the roster that john brandon has i don't think there's any doubt about that for sure absolutely all right last topic fcc uh do you have a favorite memory of fcc at this point uh yeah so the uh the um was not their wasn't their first game um because i didn't go to the first game (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, everybody talks about the U.S. Open Cup run two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was early their first year. They played a game uh, on a Saturday night against God knows who. And, I mean, I'll admit, you know, number one, I, I never have been the world's biggest soccer fan. And, right. and number two, you know, being skeptical about, you know, whenever I've heard about, well, we're going to have a new team, it's going to be a new minor league team, you know, it's like, yeah, whatever. Right. You know, we've, <laughs> we've done that before. We've had the jungle And so cats. we went to a game, you know, the second or third game of the year, the weather was awful. And uh, I remember standing 
kind of, if you're looking at the field, we're standing kind of to the right of the Bailey because it was raining. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, watching the game and, like, looking around, and I'm going, holy crap. You know, the, the place wasn't full, but there's 20, 22,000 people here in awful weather to watch minor league soccer. Like, right. this could work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and the, the U.S. Open Cup run was awesome. And when they beat the crew, when they beat the Chicago Fire, I mean, all, you know, that was that was great. You know, the team is dreadful this year, but yes, um, you know, that's you know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm I always say like, I'm I might not be I might I may be right I may be wrong, but I'm I'm, I'm an open minded, you know, to change my mind. And you know, as, as someone who was kind of skeptical that this was going to work, I remember that night going, you know what, this this may work, and then going, all right, you know, get on board. You you're a Cincinnati sports fan, you know, no, you have no idea what the hell these players in the field are doing, but you know, <laughs> uh, get behind it. And exactly. uh, so it's. I mean, you know, even just watching the the climb to MLS, which obviously has had its its bumps in the road, has been, you know, a, a real feel good story because, you know, typically um, our hopes get dashed whenever we think big, and and the people who run that club thought big and and they got it done, and that meant a, a great deal amount to a lot of people. So I've I've kind of enjoyed that. I, I yeah, I think the team this season is, you know, I I think. Um, they don't. They should not get a pass for how non-competitive they've been. But right. that's kind of a different story. The, the fact that they had a goal and realized it in the face of you know again a lot of skepticism is is I think kind of a cool thing. So how excited are you about the new stadium and kind of getting out of Nippert and growing on their own? Well, I'm I'm excited for the new stadium uh, because you know who doesn't like. Uh, you know, a new spot, whether it's a bar, restaurant, you know, stadium, right, yep. whatever. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited for that. I, I will admit, uh, not loving, um, sometimes the lack of transparency, um, from the club okay, yeah, uh, during this sure. process. Yep. You know, I, I, I don't find that to be something that is, you know, uh, truly becoming, um, I'm a, I'm a West Ender. I lived in the West End for almost six years. And so, uh, I I have a soft spot in my heart for that neighborhood. I wanted it there, but I, I wanted it there where it didn't, didn't come at the expense of a lot of people right. uh, being inconvenienced. And I just think there's been kind of a lack of transparency. But they need their own home. And and you know I uh, I I wish it was 100% privately funded. I, I don't believe in publicly financed stadiums. Um, but I'm I'm a little skeptical about the parking situation just because in that area there's not a lot of places not to lot park. Of parking, and, yeah. uh, I worry about them having to displace, you know, District 1, uh, you know, which is right there, the police station. But, you know, they 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 should have their own home and, you know, I think Nippert Stadium has been really good for them. And I I hope this works and I hope it I hope it's a benefit to that community. What I'm really interested in is by the time that stadium is built and by the time people are paying new stadium prices, um, are folks going to tolerate the team not being that good? They had 30,000 people Saturday or Sunday, and I know a lot of them were from Columbus, but still they're drawing very well. That's only going to go on for so long if the team stays bad, especially as uh, the prices get hiked. So I'm I'm interested in that. But, yeah, I – I certainly hope it works out for them. I think it's going to be interesting if they have a state-of-the-art place that's kind of the uh, 
the envy of the league, you know, at what point did the the Bengals and maybe to a lesser degree the Reds go, huh, you know, we, <laughs> we would like a state-of-the-art place too. And we when that there. happens, um, God help us all. Hamilton right. County's in a world of hurt. Oh, jeez. Um, last question I have on FCC, and it's a little less about FCC, but uh, more about one of your old coworkers. Um, how has it been watching Lindsey Patterson grow and develop from your intern to a sideline reporter and now the <clears throat> BBP co-host with uh, Tyler Dragon? Awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, just just phenomenal. Um, she's doing. You know, y- you talk about people who you meet them when they're in school, you meet them when they're really young, and they tell you what they're they want to do. And I had no idea how she could do that. Um, (laughs) And she's doing it, you know, and, and I'll tell you what uh, has really hustled has, I mean, there were times when she was working with me, she was working like four jobs at once, all hours of the day. I mean, literally all hours of the day. And there were probably a lot of uh, chances that she, for her to say, you know, the hell with this, I'm going to, you know, go do something else. And she never did. I, I, and I know she's experienced some, some setbacks along the way as, 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 you know, we all have. So, sure. um, it, it's been really cool, you know, and, and I've even said this to her, uh, watching her on camera the first time, as opposed to now, the growth is insane. Oh, uh, sure. and, and you know, I, I don't know if she would admit this, but I remember when she got that job saying to her, what the hell do you know about soccer? <laughs> uh, and she's learned the sport and she, uh, you, you know, has really um, devoted herself to understanding it, uh, understanding the nuances of it. And, you know, she's really kind of carved out a name for herself, which is great. I mean, I, you know, that's, you know, when, whenever we get a producer, uh, you know, I always tell them, I, I know this isn't your life's goal, so you know, use this as a jumping off point to, you know, go do what you want to go do. And, um, you know, Lindsay and the guy who most recently produced my show, James, yeah, uh, were textbook, both textbook and, and doing that. And, um, What's this? I was going to say no this. role in their success whatsoever, but I'm I'm certainly proud of them both. Well, I was going to say a lot of credit does go to you, even though you just said that, because I think a lot of your producers have gone on to do um, some big things. I mean, Brunker, um, Rapine, her. I mean, I think they've all kind of gone on to do things they want to do, and I I, I, I would assume that's a credit to you because I assume you're you're pretty good, pretty easy to work with. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll challenge that. Uh, the, the only thing I would tell you about that is I've always been very picky about who the producer is, and I've always had the best in the building because I had that job. Uh-huh. Um, and so, you know, every producer I've had, and I mean, I've been lucky. In, in 12 years, I've basically had uh, four people, or five, yeah. I guess, five people. And um, But I've always told them, you're, you're not going to do anything in your role that I didn't do when I had your role. So, you know, then, and this isn't you work for me. This isn't, I'm your boss. This is, we collaborate on the production of a radio show and your, your ideas are valued and I'm not always going to agree. And sometimes we're going to fight and, you know, uh, I can pull rank on you whenever I want, but (laughs) you know, I, I've, I've always, I've always, I've always just really been a big believer in, uh, you know, having somebody really good, having someone who from an ambition standpoint kind of reminded me of me mm-hmm. having somebody who was, you know, really invested in the show, somebody who really had something to bring to the table almost every single day. And, you know, so I've always, the one thing I think I'm, I have been good at is, you know, when we've had 
okay, well, you're going to have a new producer, um, kind of finding, helping to find somebody who was either already in the building or had just come to the building and going, hey, that's somebody that I think would be good, uh, and and really making them feel like they're a part of of the show, whether that's on air or off. And then what they do from that point is on them. I have nothing to do with that. Um, but it's been fun to watch them uh, achieve um, success and, uh, you know, hopefully as they, uh, you know, grow into whatever they ultimately end up doing, they, they look back on their time with us with, uh, with fondness because they each in their own way have certainly, uh, aided me greatly. Absolutely. Well, we love Lindsay too. She's actually been on the show. She was one of our first guests. Um, and she's, how about that? Yeah. On she, the night of an FCC game, too. I, I thought for sure she wasn't going to do it. And she's like, no, I can do it. And I was like, okay. I'm all right. Um, and then yeah, she's, she's, she's awesome. I mean, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, she, when she was an intern, and she was an intern first. And then uh, the Nick was the producer, Nick Brunker. He mm-hmm. left. And, you know, they're kind of asking me, you know, what do you think? And I go, just let Lindsay do it. <laughs> and they're like, you know, well, Lindsay's never run the board. And I go, who who gives a shit? I mean, I can teach a monkey how to run the board. Uh, well, but, you know, she's never done this. And I go, I don't care about all that. I, here's what I care about. Do you give a shit? Right. Like, yep. that's it. I mean, the, you can teach. Every single producer I've ever had will say, the only thing I care about is do you give a shit? I can guide you through the rest. Right. And I can watch you learn the rest through trial and error. And I'll forgive mistakes. If you give a shit, it, it, that's all I care about. And it was abundantly clear. Uh, and I would say unequivocally the same thing about James, mm-hmm. um, who also was basically, you know, came out of being an intern to a producer and then my producer. Um, that's all I care about. Right. Um, you know, the, 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 the mechanics of the job, you know, it, it, it really aren't that hard. If, but if you don't care and you're mailing it in and, you know, this is just something you do waiting for, you know, something else and it's not going to work. So with Lindsay, it was abundantly clear. She really, really wanted to be good at what she was doing in the moment with an eye down the road on something bigger and better. And she accomplished both. She was great at what she was doing in the moment and has obviously moved on to things that are, are bigger and better. That's awesome. Listen, Mo, it's He's been, been awesome. a huge pleasure to get you on the show. Um, you gave us twice as much time as yeah, you allotted. Yeah, we really appreciate that. Man. In any case, it's been, like I said, just an awesome, awesome time here with you. We appreciate all the stories you've told. Right. Um, all right, you guys know how to get a hold of me. Yes, sir. <laughs> all right. Ed. Yo. That was a big one. That's We've been wanting that one since we started. Since the beginning. Since we started. When, we saw, when I saw him at Red's Fest. I sent him an email. Yeah. It was great. I appreciate it. finally time. happened. Um, I don't I don't even know that we could say anything else, right? I don't I don't know how you exit the show. This is how we sign off. Fred, I'm Aaron. We're out. out.